Welcome back to the Almost Shameless Podcast with Tanya Ray Fox. I am your host, Tanya Ray Fox, and I am back at it after taking a week off last week to get myself together in quarantine mode. You'd think it would be easier when you're quarantined with nothing to do, but as a solo host without a regular um, co-host or guests or anything, it can be pretty difficult when there's not a lot of sports going on. So I took the week to get myself accustomed to my new schedule and my new normal. With Chris working from home every day, we figured out a really good rhythm. Uh, Luckily, we have a pretty big space here in the condo that we live in. So that's nice. We're not like up each other's butts all the time. And now that we're both working from home, we are really utilizing our upstairs loft area, which is also a office, has an office desk and another separate place to work. So we each have our spaces and it's been really good to find a rhythm. And we're both incredibly grateful that we have that right now. Um, We've been getting up and doing like long, like really vigorous walks in the morning to keep our cardio up and uh, get some fresh air. There's a, there's a, a really wonderful understanding. I don't know how it is everywhere right now, but here what people will do is there's this kind of unwritten rule where you know, before you get too close, one person or one set of people stays on the sidewalk and then the other group gets off and walks on the street so that you can maintain your six feet. So for Chris and I, our rule is like if someone's with dogs or kids, you know, we try to let them take the sidewalk. We take the street. If we if we're getting a little close and the other person hasn't gone to the street, we just kind of do that. Um, and it seems like everybody kind of takes turns and, it, and it's nice. It's been nice to see that there's a social contract in place that uh, people are willing to work with. So it's, you know, I figured now that things are settled in and I kind of have a new normal, it felt more natural to get back on and do a little bit of a podcast. Obviously, there are no real sports happening, but that doesn't mean that things aren't being talked about. And Luckily, it's actually brought out a lot of creativity and thoughtfulness among the people who are creating content, which is great, including obviously Fox Sports and ESPN. And I've been encouraged to kind of see how people are working around what we're dealing with and how open they are to incorporating the conversation about coronavirus and quarantine and everything into the discussion about sports because it's it's unavoidable. In sports, we so often, especially in sports media, we are really discouraged from uh, bringing the outside world into sports. We really like to keep it a bubble. And by we, I mean the people in charge. There's a lot of pushback on allowing social issues and the world outside of sports to kind of seep in because a lot of the time that can bring in controversy, it can bring in politics, and they always want to avoid that. You know, we've seen the backlash when sports personalities talk out about things that aren't sports. The whole stick to sports mentality is it's very social media rooted, but believe it or not, it's very rooted in the upper echelons of sports media management and executives as well. Like they're trying to serve the fans who are vocal on social media about wanting their talent to stick to sports. So the executives are extra sensitive to that very often. But lately that's been unavoidable. And so it's broken down those walls and that uncomfortability with dealing with the global scope of coronavirus and I don't know, as that's kind of, you know, I talked the last time I did my podcast about finding silver linings and finding gratitude. And I'm finding it there because it's making me, I think, a better journalist and a better producer of content. I've really tried to embrace the new avenue that we're being allowed to expand into. Having said that, you know, I I really kind of want to get back to some sports chat and some debate. So I'm going to talk about two things today. I want to talk about the renaissance of the Brady-Belichick debate and who has more to prove. And obviously, this has been an ongoing topic. I've talked about it on this podcast plenty of times. I talked. We talked about it when it was Fox and Fallon. I've done it myself. We do it on Fox Sports all the time. ESPN is doing it. And um, specifically on ESPN, Mike Greenberg actually went on a little bit of a rant uh And his take was that Belichick has more to prove than Brady does, and he explained why. And I found it to be pretty bogus, so I'm going to play you some of that audio, and we're going to break it down and kind of approach the debate from that angle using Greenberg's comments as a a jumping-off point. Pretty excited to get into that. 
I also want to get into ESPN's uh, college basketball bracket. What they did, which is really cool, is they started with a bracket of 64 of the greatest college basketball players ever. And they've been weaning that down through fan votes and such over the last two weeks, I believe. And they are now at the final two. They're going to announce the winner today. That might not be announced by the time I release this podcast, but it's, it's not a big deal. We're going to go through um, some of the players on that list and you know, maybe some votes that went a certain way, some bias toward male players over female players, some bias towards recent players over older players, where they got things right and wrong. And we'll talk about the final two and where we fall on that front. And then uh, for my gimmicks and rants, actually, I'm going to have Chris, my fiance, come on and we're going to talk. We're basically going to do a review of our quarantine viewing. So we've been binging a lot and I know other people have as well. So I don't know, you know, hopefully there's some stuff that we've watched that you haven't and we can kind of give you a little bit of lighthearted reviews of the stuff that we've seen and what we thought and you can pass that along to others and you can use it for yourself. Uh, We've watched a a handful of movies, not a ton of movies. We've done a lot of TV binging. It's so weird how much day you find that you have when you don't have to commute and you're not going to the gym and you're not going grocery shopping. Like all these little things that take up your day that you remove and all of a sudden you're like, oh, that frees up like three hours of television watching. And it's like we've worked a full day of work. We've worked out at home. We've cooked dinner and eaten and We still have all this time. So we will go through some of that, some of our favorites. Never had Chris on the podcast before, which is funny because he's been home when I've been recording plenty of times, but uh, it just has never been like a perfect time to bring him on. And this is perfect. So I'm excited. He is a super sports buff. Obviously, he works at ESPN, so he knows what he's talking about. But we talk so much sports between the two of us and like just in general, we're like one of we're one of those couples that kind of debates and chats about sports anyway. So it's almost like I never think to bring him on the pod to do it because there's nothing I haven't already talked to him about. I bounce so much of my ideas and so much, so many of my thoughts off of him anyway, that it almost feels like cheating to just have that conversation again. It feels less fresh. There's just always very little opportunity for us to like have a new conversation on the microphone, believe it or not. So this will be really fun to do. Uh, so yeah, let's let's get into the first topic. That stuff coming up. Since Tom Brady has taken his talents to Tampa Bay, the debate over whether Bill Belichick or Tom Brady uh, really deserves the most credit for their dynasty and which one of them has the most to prove now that they are no longer together, it rages on. The debate continues, and one Mike Greenberg of ESPN recently made the case that Tom Brady was the one who carried the dynasty in New England. Well, he sort of made the case. He kind of parsed it at the end, which I generally don't love. You know, if you're going to make a bold statement and have a hot take, you know, follow it all the way through. If you think Belichick is overrated or if you think that he wouldn't have been able to accomplish what he's accomplished without Brady... I wouldn't blame you. I think we can actually all agree on on the fact that they are a complimentary pair of greats. However, he made the argument Bill Belichick's head coaching career prior to Brady kind of makes the case that he wasn't a good enough head coach until he was with Brady, which is a bit of a flawed argument because just about every great head coach in every single sport had a superstar with whom they created their legacy. There are very, very few coaches who established themselves as an all-time great or GOAT with out that player, that iconic marquee player, a Hall of Famer, an all-timer, a fellow GOAT to help establish their own greatness as well. A lot of times we think in sports that that players or coaches have to do it on their own or they have to have established success without the help of anybody in order to really earn our utmost complete and total respect. The funny part about that is I can't really think of anything that exists like that in team sports. It really goes against the nature of team sports. So let's take a little bit of a listen to what Greenberg had to say, and we'll go through that argument together. There is plenty of data to evaluate Bill without Brady. And for whatever it's worth, it's not a pretty picture. Bill Belichick coached exactly 100 games before Tom Brady's first start. He was 42 and 58. Most of that was in Cleveland, where he took over a Browns team that had made the playoffs 
Five out of six years. He coached them five seasons. He had losing records in four. By the way, Nick Saban was his defensive coordinator four of those five seasons. And yes, the ending was a terrible situation. The team planning to relocate to Baltimore. Factor that in however you like. Then he went to New England. Belichick was 5-13 and 13 with Drew Bledsoe, number one overall draft pick at quarterback. Then Brady took over. In his first start, he beat Peyton Manning and the Colts by 31 points as a double-digit underdog. He then went 13-3 and three the rest of the way and won the Super Bowl. Brady went on to average 28 points a game as a starter over his Patriots career. That is the most by any quarterback ever. In games started by anyone else, Belichick's teams have averaged 19 points. Brady also won six playoff games in which his team allowed 28 or more points. No other quarterback has ever won more than two. And Brady made himself a salary cap bargain in none of his championship seasons was Brady a top 10 cap hit in the league. So what does all of this mean? Certainly doesn't necessarily take anything away from Belichick as a coach. I believe he is the greatest in the history of American team sports. But the facts are the facts. So if he is ever going to accomplish anything without Tom Brady, he's going to have to start doing it now. Okay, so let's start with going back to the Browns. The last time the Cleveland Browns won a playoff game was after the 1994 season, and their head coach was Bill Belichick. That's the last time that franchise won a playoff game, conveniently left out. Bill Belichick, as a defensive coordinator and assistant and assistant coach, helped Bill Parcells to all of his Super Bowl appearances and both of his rings. Bill Parcells never won a damn thing without Bill Belichick in charge of his defense. Now let's go to that incredible game that Tom Brady had against Peyton Manning in his first start with the Patriots. That day, Peyton Manning went 20 of 34 for 196 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions, and was sacked twice. His passer rating was 48.2. Roman Pfeiffer, Otis Smith, and Ty Law each had an interception. Bobby Hamilton, Riddick Parker, and Anthony Pleasant all recorded a sack. Ryan Cox himself that day had eight solo tackles, 11 combined. So on that glorious game that Mike Greenberg seemed so intent on giving to Brady as if he just came in and won it himself, Belichick's historically good defense was historically good. That We all know that that was a defensive dynasty, and that's exactly what they looked like that day. Tom Brady that day, was 13 of 23 for 168 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, and took a sack. Meanwhile, Antoine Smith rushed for 94 yards and two touchdowns. Kevin Falk, another beloved Patriot, 48 yards rushing and a touchdown. So, you know, if you're going to use that specific game as some marker that he was like this legend that came in and saved Belichick that season because he couldn't get it done with Drew Bledsoe, that's not exactly the way to do it. I mean, if you really want to make the argument that Brady was the difference maker, it's definitely in the playoffs when he was incredibly clutch and super calm and always made the right play at the end of games. That's when it really made the difference, and that's when he helped to elevate what Belichick did. You know, it wasn't until... 2005 and 6 and 7 when he started to really look like the passer that he became even in 2004 he was really becoming that passer but to pinpoint that first start as a, as some like miracle game is super disingenuous. Now let's hit on that cute little stat where he says that Brady won six playoff games when the Patriots allowed 28 or more points. Well, that's a pretty easy stat to manipulate when Tom Brady's played in 41 playoff games, and the next closest total is Peyton Manning playing in 27. In fact, there are only eight quarterbacks in the history of the NFL who've ever played 20 or more playoff games. Tom Brady has played in 41. Just to give you a little bit more context, Joe Montana played in 23 playoff games. Roger Staubach played in 20. Brett Favre played in 24. You see where I'm going with this? So if you're going to break down games in which specific things happened and then compare it to other quarterbacks, you are going to have to go percentages because total games is always going to be skewed with Brady because he played on a really good team that had basically a 20-year dynasty. And you and I and just about the rest of the sports viewing free world knows dynasties are not built on the back of one singular player with no help, right? Now, this is obviously me defending Belichick against Greenberg, not me trashing Tom Brady. Let's be honest, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick 
are not one of, are not who they are without the other one. That's my, you know that's my point. So let me just make that clear before I close out my final arguments here. Let's talk about Brady making himself a salary cap bargain and how in none of those Super Bowl seasons was he the highest played court, paid quarterback in the league or the highest paid player in the league. Listen, Tom Brady didn't learn salary cap management on his own. In fact, Bill Belichick has built a large part of his legacy on the idea that no player is worth so much that it comes to the detriment of another part of the team, whether it's special teams, defense, or offense, other units. They all thrive when certain players don't have outrageous salary cap hits, you know, crazy money to contracts that aren't worth it. That's a Bill Belichick philosophy that Brady embraced because he's an incredibly smart player who learned very early on that the Patriot way in this in the culture that Belichick created was a winning system. The first season that he stepped on the field as a starter, he won a Super Bowl. And then the third season and then the fourth season. By the time he was negotiating new contracts, there was no fucking way he was going to leave the Patriots. So it was whatever Belichick, you know, (laughs) at that point, you want to stay with the Patriots, you take pay cuts. Brady being smart enough to do it and having the competitive edge that he had and being able to see the bigger picture and knowing what was best for him as a player and how to elevate his own greatness, that's what made Brady so special. There are plenty of players who would have left Belichick and would have left New England under those circumstances, and that's why he's incredible. But to act as though Brady came up with the idea of making less money, I think that we've seen over the last year that that, he wasn't like, he isn't the kind of guy who doesn't want money. He's building a brand empire. He just knew what was right for him at that time, and he was smart enough to continue to do what was right for him and to build his legacy. And that included fitting himself in to Belichick's system of salary cap management. So, and then he, and then Greenberg closes out this whole thing with, oh, by the way, I think Bill Belichick is the greatest head coach in the history of American team sports. Well, if you think that, then why are you nitpicking his years with the Browns who have not been, who have not even sniffed a playoff win since Bill Belichick was their coach? Come on now. Yeesh. That stuff coming up. So ESPN uh, put out a 64-player uh, bracket for the greatest college basketball players of all time. And it was pretty fun. You know, I mean, right now is the time to be doing this stuff. And I loved the idea of it. And I think that for the most part, their seating was actually like really spot on. They included female basketball players, of course, because some of the great basketball icons in this country are are women. And that was really cool to see. They unfortunately, I guess I don't mean to say unfortunately, but sometimes leaving it up to fans voting can get a little bit uh, skewed because a lot of the people voting are younger or there is recency bias or all that stuff. So you have situations where like Cheryl Miller lost to Chris Webber. Cheryl Miller was a three seed. She lost to Chris Weber in the round of 64 voting, didn't even make it to the top 32. I mean, come on. You know, when you have stuff like that, it's just like, oh, yeah, you guys don't understand. If you think that Chris Weber was a better college basketball player than Cheryl Miller, who is a Hall of Famer, that's truly fucking stupid. But so you get you get stuff like that. Um, let's go to the final, the top eight, because I'm not going to break down the entire you know field of 64. The elite eight based on voting was number three seed Magic Johnson versus Carmelo Anthony, number five seed in the South region. Number two seed Michael Jordan versus number 12 seed Stephen Curry in the Midwest region. Again, no way on planet Earth Stephen Curry is one of the top eight college basketball players of all time. That's fucking stupid. Then in the East, we had number nine, Allen Iverson versus number three, Larry Bird. And in the West region, we had number nine, Shaquille O'Neal versus number 10, Dwayne Wade. Again, not sure how Dwayne Wade is there. I'm not even 100% sure how Shaquille O'Neal is there. I guess I can see in terms of just his uh, star power and how physically dominant he was. You know, he didn't he didn't win a championship, but I can see why he's there. I guess I can, you know, it's a it's a bit of a when you look at how many people really transformed the college basketball scene in a way that was really really lasting. I think sometimes there are people whose NBA careers didn't necessarily like go on to be the same way or the WNBA career someone like who I talked about Cheryl Miller, she was so incredible and then we never got to see her in the WNBA. So we remember her college career so, so distinctly, right? So those are those are your final eight. The I'm sorry, those are your elite eight. 
The final four was Magic Johnson versus Michael Jordan, and that Jordan won that. And the other side of that was Larry Bird versus Shaq. Naturally, Larry Bird won that. So the championship face-off is NJ versus Bird as the greatest college basketball player of all time. I have a feeling that MJ is going to end up winning it. I think in terms of their legacy as a college basketball player, distinctly separately from their NBA career, Larry Bird has the edge. You know, obviously, this is a Boston sports fan talking, so I'm trying to remove my bias. And I have read other people's analysis of this Final Four and the bracket in general, and It does seem like most people agree it would have actually been pretty cool to see Bird versus Magic. However, uh, I'm trying to be gracious and say I understand why MJ is there because he was so special. He didn't get picked number one overall coming out of his own draft, which is always interesting, but that's really neither here nor there. I, I I think in the end... This was a cool exercise to kind of look back over some of the other players and see where the the women player, you know, they stacked up against the men. I think I think just about in every single sense outside of 16 seeds and um, outside of one seeds and two seeds versus 15 and 16 seeds, the women were underrated in the voting, but not in the seeding. So this is me basically saying I like the way that ESPN put them together and valued their rankings with the seating and I really don't love the way that people voted. In the end though it was it was pretty cool. I I think that Larry Bird being from Indiana, which is a place that prizes basketball so much, high school, college specifically, it would be cool to see him as the as the greatest of all time on that front. Uh I still can't really get over the lack of respect for Lou Alcindor, who obviously went on to change his name to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Bill Walton, and some of the really, really all-time iconic basketball players that were left out of this Elite Eight. You know, inclusion of players like Stephen Curry and Dwayne Wade kind of water it down, in my opinion, because even though we landed on two pretty iconic players in the championship, it, you know, I don't, I don't understand how Lou Alcindor doesn't make an Elite Eight. That's insane to me. You know, but that's the risk you run when you allow a public vote. This is sometimes a popularity contest and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is quite old. And a lot of the kids and the most active people on Twitter don't remember ever seeing him playing. I, I certainly never remember seeing him play. I was born in the late 1980s. So that's, you know, <laughs> that's where we're, that's kind of where we're at. I just I just also respect the history of a lot of it requires a lot of work. You know, you got to go through a lot of YouTube clips and watch documentaries and read old articles and books about these players and the more and more history that the NBA has, which every decade that goes by, it's increasing it, you know, more and more, the history gets longer and longer. These older players are going to fade into the past more than they used to, you know, to kids who grew up in the early 90s, the 60 players were outdated. Well, now the 60s players are basically, they might as well have been playing a different sport. So Guys like Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain and Bob Cousy are just, they're going to fade right into the background. They're going to, they're just going to be, they're going to basically be dinosaurs. They're going to be left out of these kinds of lists. So that's to be expected. Shall we? Okay. Now on the podcast for the first time ever is uh, Chris. Hello. Yeah. The illustrious Chris. I've talked about him plenty on this podcast and he is here. Welcome on Almost Shameless Podcast with Tiny Ray Fox, Chris. Thank you very much. Good to be here. I've been waiting for a long time to be invited. (laughs) I was saying at the beginning of the podcast that I've never had you on. And a lot of the reason is because um, we talk about everything I'm going to talk about before I talk about it on the podcast. Like, I run so much of my stuff by you that I... Like I, it just wouldn't necessarily seem fresh if we had a like a sports debate conversation on here. I think I would agree. Yeah, because most of the stuff that I'm ranting about on here, I've ranted to you and we've fleshed it out. So then for me to have you on as a guest, it would be kind of redundant, which I mean, it happens. I've had to re-record interviews before, right. but you're not a seasoned podcaster, Chris. No, this is my first podcast ever. So, yeah, so uh, that's sure. probably yeah, that's probably the, the reason why I haven't been on either is because uh, who knows if I'm even any good? Probably not. Yeah, I guess we're going to find out. You're going to be this is going to be your um, debut onto the airwaves. 
I'm fine with that. I'm excited. I'm excited to make your um to make your radio dreams come true. You have a great voice for it. I've been told that. Yeah. And so then, yeah, so you're an underutilized asset in the house. I think I had a sports internship one time at a radio station and uh, learned a little bit. Forgot it all. That yeah. was a long time ago. So we'll see. Yeah, I should have you do. You know, like welcome back to the Almost Shameless podcast. Just say it in your best radio voice right now. Let's see how it sounds. Welcome back to the Almost Shameless podcast, starring Tanya Ray Fox. Oh, I like how you said starring. Yeah, she sound like is a the star. star, the one and only special guest, Chris Armendariz. I appreciate your good work. Okay, so this is what we're what we're gonna do. Um, I wanted to review some of the stuff that we've been watching during our quarantine. Okay. Because a lot of people are sharing back and forth things they liked and didn't like, and we all have a lot of time on our hands, and we're in this together as a community. We are. And we've consumed a lot of media. Um, I, I want you to know that I've explained to the audience that we all we are also getting out and walking and staying as active as possible. We're not just couch potatoes, but when you like remove all of the excess stuff that you do every day with like driving to work, doing a gym workout or whatever else, going to grocery store, doing errands, all that stuff, you end up with like an extra three hours of your day that you don't normally have. Yeah. So like it's wild. What are we supposed to fill it with? Content programming on content and programming. Yeah. First we'll hit on the TV shows because we've watched more TV than we have movies. I don't know. You can tell me how you feel, but I feel like the binging of a TV show, knowing you have like eight hours of content or 10 hours or whatever ahead of you seems more comforting than just the, the short burst of contentment you get from like two hours of a movie. I think I agree with you there. If you're going to be like watching something over the long haul and doing all, you know, like want to talk about it with somebody like, you know, it's kind of a longer experience. Uh, my personal motivation is that, like, I don't watch a lot of TV shows in general. Uh, really, well, if I watch a show with you, then that's it. So, I don't know. I feel like there's been a lot of TV that uh, I should catch up on, and it's been an opportunity to do that. So, that's been cool. That's true. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been good. I've watched, I think, more TV in the last three weeks than I... Like, more te- like full seasons of, like, a, oh, I've watched that season of that show. Yeah. Like, than I have in the last three years of my life. Yeah. P- potentially. Well, because we also watch a lot of stuff that's like seasonal, like it's like the same show and they just do it every year. Like we watch Survivor and we'll watch The Voice, but they're not like individual like in shows, original IP or whatever. They're not like their own specific thing. It's like a recurring, you know, these shows that have been going on forever. So, all right, we'll start here. I'm going to go through the list of what we've binged since quarantine started. So that's like, I guess, since starting 21 days ago. And we'll kind of review what we liked and didn't like. Uh, we finished binging Happy Endings. We started it before quarantine, but we did binge like probably the last season on the final in the first week of quarantine, which was nice. We did. Uh, we binged High Fidelity. We also The new did. show on Hulu based on the movie. We did The Outsider on HBO, Watchmen on HBO. Tiger King, of course. See, it's so many shows. I know. No, this is fucking insane. <laughs> so many shows. Um, and we've also, I'm including Jeopardy because we had fallen super, super behind on our day-to-day episodes of Jeopardy when we started having different schedules last year. So obviously they're every day. We had episodes dating back to October and we have now caught up through the end of January. Yeah. So that's like over three months of Jeopardy that we've caught up on as well. Burning through. I mean, some of them I think we started a little bit before quarantine, but still. So I included that. And I also included our recent uh, binge over the last like five days of a season and a half of Tiny House Nation on Netflix. Right on. Right. Okay. Okay. So we'll start with the TV shows. Of the shows that we've binged, I have them in front of you here for recollection. Okay. What has been your favorite? Like if you had to do a quarantine retrospective, which one do you think that you will remember the most watching? Or I guess which one? Yeah, I want to say favorite and then I'm going to say most memorable. So what was your favorite? Um, I think my favorite is probably The Outsider. Okay. Um, that's probably the one I'll talk most about to other people when we talk about TV shows. Uh, I just thought it was awesome. It was a cool story. I don't do a lot of the Stephen King stuff just because it's I just haven't gotten around to it. It's not really on my radar or anything. So 
uh, just, you know, having that kind of story. And I thought it was just really awesome. I really enjoyed the whole thing. It was, uh, I don't know, I was on the edge of my seat, as they say, uh, pretty much the whole time. I was just curious and I, I feel like it wasn't too slow or too out there or whatever. It all just kind of came together when it needed to. And yeah, I just, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think that as I was thinking over it and I was asking you the question, I think The Outsider is the one that I've thought about the most since we watched it. I really loved the acting in it. It didn't take me out of it or anything, but just the, you know, when you're watching good acting and it's hard to not acknowledge it in the moment because it's so good. Sometimes I would feel like that watching Game of Thrones or other whatever other prestige TV. You're in it and like you're realizing how in it you are that you have to just kind of take a moment and be like, holy shit, this is like really good. And even Jason Bateman wasn't in it for too long, but even his like little bit that he was in it was really good. Spoiler. I mean, it's not much no, of a spoiler if you like know anything I about just, it. I've always wanted to say spoiler on a podcast. Yeah. So okay. Was, so bo- spoiler alert, guys. <laughs> but again, yeah, I ha- also haven't consumed much Stephen King content um, because I'm scared of horror and that's his thing. Yeah. Uh, but this was more of a mystery crime thriller with horror elements, which I can totally handle. I've watched a lot of like thriller with horror kind of attached to it. And I can handle that. And I always know when to look away for the most part, which is good. You've got and a very good system. Yeah. And if I'm out. watching with you, I like look away. And if I miss anything super important, you just tell me. Yeah. Which is good. Buddy system. Yeah. I just think, what's the actor's name again? The main actor? Mendelssohn. Yeah. Ben Mendelssohn is like top notch. Yeah. In this. His accent is on point. I totally forgot that he wasn't like a Southern American or where they're in. They're in Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. And uh, this is my first thing I saw Cynthia Erivo act in, I think. I don't know if I've ever seen her because I haven't watched Harriet or whatever. We watched Widows. Oh, Widows. Right. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And I loved her in Widows. And then, yeah. But this is the first TV I've seen her do. I don't know if she's on TV before or not, but she was fucking awesome. So just, I mean, on that front, it was really good. Um, and probably one of the craziest scenes we've ever watched on TV. <laughs> yeah. <Right>? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude. Like there's one scene... <laughs> And I will say, like, I'm not, no spoilers, of course, but there is one scene and it starts, does it start the final episode or it's toward the end? It's I'm like not going to give, it, I don't want to give too yeah, much away. It's near the end. Yeah, but it's more toward the end in the final episodes. And it's like one of the craziest, most like enthralling, horrifying, holy shit, what the fuck, just like on the edge of your seat for 12 straight minute scenes I've ever watched. In TV or movie, really. Yeah, dude, I feel like it's just as wild as when Danny got on a dragon and just burned the shit out of King's Landing. Yeah. Because, like, it just didn't stop. It just keeps going. You're like, oh, this is going to stop. And they're like, oh, my God. It's, and, yeah, and it didn't stop. It was no. wild. It's it's insane. So <laughs> and, like, the, and the sound uh, mixing and all of that. Like, oh, that's a good point. Uh, like, the whole, this of that, in that scene in particular, is just, it's, it just takes it to another level. It's wild. Yeah, and we have a good sound bar. Which is helpful for that. Yeah. We're able to really experience the sound of it now. Now that we have the sound bar and the woofer. Thanks, Andy. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Yeah. So there, I, so I guess that answers the two questions, which is which we liked the most and which was the most memorable. Um, because I think that we'll probably agree that, but what we just said also described it being the most memorable. Um, I, we, the more like light stuff that we watched was happy endings and high fidelity and, Happy Endings is like on all these decades lists now because it's the it was the end of the decade. It's getting a lot of play recently again. Um, I think Max was like included on a bracket on the ringer as like one of the be- best like characters of the last decade or whatever. <laughs> like there's all these like, you know, like um, throwbacks and it kind of took a lull for a little while because it ended in like 2013 or whatever. Okay. And then because it was only the three seasons. And so it had been a while since people were talking about it, but it was like a cult favorite. So now that you're now that you're caught up, I'd seen it before. I'd watched it when it was on. Right. I binged it with you again. Yeah. Do you I, feel like it's worth the hype? I feel like I'd never heard of it. I'm pretty sure I'd never heard of the show until you told me about okay. it. Uh, I didn't even know it was a thing, although I know who most of those people are on it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's one of the most ridiculous shows I've ever watched in my entire life, like in a good way uh, as far as comedy. Like, I don't know what the hell I was watching most of the time. Usually we watch it at, you know, the end of our night. So we were kind of relaxed and like you know probably off my guard and just like ready to kind of like not think too much yeah yeah it's one of those shows that like i feel like there's certain of my friends that i will talk about i'm like dude you'll you'll love this yeah uh 
and you'll have a great time. And like, I already know who those people are. Right. And then there's other people that I'm just like never going to talk about the show with so that they don't judge me. <laughs> but, but that's the thing, though. It's pretty mainstream accepted as like an incredibly good sitcom, like underrated. Yeah. Sure. I, so like they even if it isn't for somebody like they're more I think at this point we could agree that they're more on the outside. Like I don't know many people even with even with different sensibilities than me and like humors that don't think it's funny. So it must in some way appeal to people more broadly than you think. Yeah, probably. And yeah. Uh, and probably my like the, you know, that could be a bad take on my part just because like my the biggest thing is I don't know, I don't watch a lot of TV, so I don't yeah. have I don't have a lot of other like comedies to base it off of. Right. But it just seems crazy. <laughs> um but like like funny, like hilarious, like some of the most ridiculous shit you've ever seen. Uh so yeah, I I I enjoyed it. Um, we also did the, we did Watchmen. I think we probably talked the most about Watchmen, like person to person, because they had so many questions and I had to do so much research to understand what was happening in Watchmen because I wasn't familiar with the IP before. I knew like the most basic, give me it in one minute, like background of what Watchmen was. And it turned out to be something that like you couldn't necessarily watch standalone. So I asked you a lot of questions so that we could like flesh out the details of the plot. What were your feelings on it? Because some people are saying it was like one of the best shows of the year. I don't know that I would necessarily agree with that. Although the viewing experience was still vibrant and we like spent an entire like walk one day, like hours worth of our walk talking about it and breaking it down. So obviously that was like it achieved some sort of goal on that front. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it was cool. Like it looked cool, Um, you know, obviously frustrating at times but like i don't know i i guess most shows are kind of frustrating at times uh in my opinion and uh, they probably should be or if it's at least a sign of a show you like care about or just trying to figure out uh you do have to put a lot of pieces together but it's kind of fun um you know it was one of the shows that you and i've talked about i think that like during that long walk where we both have completely different takes of certain either scenes or interactions or backstories or characters or whatever and there's a good chance both of us are right or both of us are wrong. <laughs> I don't I know mean, if you, like, I'm, that's how I felt. I'm probably it. right. Oh, because uh, and know. the only reason I say that is because I'm the Lindelof fan. Okay. So I feel like I can interpret what he is trying to do. Sure. Better. Yeah. That's but a, there's a very good chance there. That's completely biased. And this is based on only me thinking I'm correct. I'm honestly kidding a little bit. No, but yeah. Like, I it was one of those things where I was like almost getting frustrated because they're like there's very few things that he does that I like don't really support on like a base on like a broad level, I guess, where it's like, oh, I see what he's doing here and I really like it and appreciate it. But again, this wasn't like super original IP either. Like he's he was going off of something that already existed and trying to make a sequel to it. So I had to adjust my expectations. And that's I think that's where you came in. Or it's like you're you're explaining to me like the world that we're functioning in and exactly how this is supposed to be communicated. It is like a dark comic. So, yeah, I mean, just the, yeah, I mean, the world in general, but also just the kind of like. I don't know, comics are kind of I don't. I don't know. I mean, I read enough as a kid. I wasn't obsessed with them or anything, but I enjoyed them. And like sometimes for me, it's like not really needing an answer or needing like characters to make sense or like somebody's action. It's just like seeing weird shit, seeing things happen that like, oh, cool, that's cool. It could be either way, like not trying to figure out the answer to it, but just kind of enjoying it as like, you know, each moment to moment or something. I don't know if that makes any sense, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It does to people who love Lost, Chris, and I'm one of those people. Yes, yeah. I'm obsessed with it. Confused me, so. Which is weird because you're basically describing exactly what Lost was supposed to be, but okay. I don't know. They didn't have masks. We don't have to go over Tiger King much because pretty much everybody on the planet has seen Tiger King already. We're just saying that we also saw it. We also reacted to it just as crazy as everybody else did. We also have seen all the memes and agree with the memes. It was also one of I've watched a shit ton of documentary series. You haven't watched as many documentary series or documentaries, but we could both we were both like jaws on the floor. What the fuck is happening pretty regularly throughout it. So in case anybody hasn't seen Tiger King, it is exactly how it's billed. I don't think it's like I don't think anybody's overselling in the craziness. If anything, I think there's no way to oversell the craziness because you can't fit all of it into one explanation so there's no like there's no way to be like too hyped up for it i don't think i guess the only debate we've had really about it since is like 
who which of the characters that they focused on in the show is like the worst of the bad people that they display. Like all of the like real people they focus on are bad. There's some like ancillary characters um, who are I think who are just like decent people who got who are in a world that's very far foreign to us. And, right. But I don't think they're bad. But the main characters and the people whose backstories we really hear are mostly pretty fucked up and shitty. That's really the only debate there is, right? It's probably not really a debate, but I think one of the things that they make a point of at the end that like a lot of people forgot to those people forgot to really actually take care of the animals. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not really at the end a debate. They were like, it's, oh, crap. Yeah. So it's, it's not really a debate. It's more of a like, well, because nobody else watching, you know, the TV show and hopefully I sound felt like the you know people who made it like didn't forget about the animals. But you just get like you kind of you forget about it as a viewer for a minute and you're like, wait. We need to fix the, like, these people should not be allowed to have these animals because they're not treating them right. So, yeah, which I don't know, which isn't a debate. It's just a, it's something that doesn't there's so much crazy stuff that it kind of gets buried. And I think that's kind of the point. It's not even the, a plot point, really. Yeah. yeah. Like and then at the end, you, it is like it is really sad because then at the end, you're like, oh, so we've gotten through all this craziness. There's really no like resolution to it per se. And there's still animals in cages in places that they shouldn't be, which is, I will say, if you're like super, super, super sensitive to that, like I am pretty sensitive to it. I was able to get through it because I wanted to engage with the content, but it is kind of, it's a little bit upsetting. I'm not going to force people to watch Tiny House Nation, but I'm just going to say if you like Tiny House Renovations, great show. Love it. Really delightful pair of hosts. It's on Netflix. It's super easy watching. We've been watching it before bed. You know, they renovate little tiny houses. It's cute. Nothing much to say there, right? Uh, yeah. I also, I think, learned about tiny houses from you. <laughs> Was not aware of the concept or that there are so many shows. And uh, yeah, but it's it's fun. I yeah. don't really watch too many home shows or improvement or kind of like that kind of HGTV t- style shows. But uh yeah, the two people that host the show, John and Zach, I think mm-hmm. their names are, uh, they're great. It's good TV. And uh, yeah, I dig it. Yeah, it's less of an investment than a normal home renovation show, I think, because you don't have to spend so much time on each individual room. And it's like a lot more the idea of like people making this big life change and then getting this really gorgeous place that they don't didn't expect to love. It's always like this big surprise at how nice these homes can be in such a small space. And because they're small and because they're built quickly, it you don't have to like sit around watching someone try to pick out the like tile for a kitchen for 20 minutes. It's just like, it's boom, boom. And I like the pace of it. So that's why I would recommend tiny home shows to people who like like home renovation or that kind of stuff. They're just super easy and fun to watch. Before we go, I'm just going to, ha- we're going to hit on the couple movies that we've watched real quick. Cause we've watched very differing films. We watched Annihilation at the start of quarantine, which was, I don't know if that was like the best idea on our part. It started very apocalyptic. However, <laughs> it was fine. Whatever. Um, you read the book. And so I and I didn't. And I forgot that you'd read the book until after we watched the movie. And apparently it was massively different. I don't know, man. It didn't do much for me. I it was it was visually interesting. Great actors. There are some good like scenes and parts of it. But overall, I kind of finished it. I was like, oh, that was a thing. Yeah, the book and the movie are both kind of different, but both I feel the same. Like, I'm glad I did it. It's kind of cool. I like seeing something or reading about something that I've never seen before. I thought it looked awesome and it was it was cool. I, I dug it. It was kind of I had fairly high expectations of it. And I think it delivered just everything that I wanted, but I also knew it wasn't going to be like the greatest sci-fi movie I've ever seen. Right. Cause but you like, didn't think the book was the greatest sci-fi book you'd ever read. So yeah. But it was, in. yeah, but it was like, but it was cool. Yeah. It was a cool concept and reading about it a little bit. And like, I honestly didn't know what the hell was going on a lot of the time. Uh, when I first read the book and that could just be on me, but like, I felt the same with the movie. So it was kind of fun to just, I don't know, vindicate myself a little bit, but at least like enjoyed the ride. And, um, yeah, I thought it, it looked awesome. And like the couple of scary moments were pretty scary. And the couple of like really weird moments were really weird. I, that is I, I mean, I, I, that's I get, not yeah. very helpful. I'm not <laughs> yeah. gonna lie. I'm not very helpful. That's not, that's yeah. not been your best moment on this podcast so far, but that's okay. fine. Well, it's not been we have, we're still working there. This is your, again, First time ever. Yeah. You're going to have highs and lows. Constructive criticism. Yeah. Welcome. Um, we also watched Toy Story 4. That was an unassailable, perfect kids movie. I don't think like we're not here to like pick apart Toy Story 4. Loved Bunny and what were they? Bunny and Chicky? Or Ducky. Something? Ducky. Bunny and Ducky. They're fun. 
And even though I was sad at the end, I didn't cry, which I thought I would do. I put off watching it for like a year because I was afraid to cry. So I must have planned that out well. We got through that pretty easily, much more easily than we anticipated, I think. Yeah, you held up better than I thought. Yeah. uh, We were both very nervous that you were going to, you know. I'm emotional. Have a childish meltdown. Not that it's a bad thing, but just it's. it's, No, I cry at kids movies. I advise everyone to do it if you can uh, tap into that. But you also know your choose the moment (laughs) if you can. Uh, but yeah, it was, it wasn't too bad. And, uh, yeah, the new characters were awesome. It was a good time. I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. It's totally a movie you can watch as like adults at home. It's not like, it's not like a, it's not one of those movies where like you have to watch with a kid and no Pixar movies really are, are so plus like Toy Stories from our childhood. So yeah, it's nowhere near as knife to a heart level as Toy Story three was. So, uh, you're good. I think, I think we all are in our age group were traumatized probably from that one. So uh if you're in the same boat this one's a little it's a little easier that's a good point smoother waters see you've recovered from your um your review of <laughs> annihilation by really ramping it up for toy story 4 well you know what can i say that pixar gets me going yeah okay and then finally we um a couple days ago we watched dark phoenix i recently heard someone on podcast describe it as one of the worst movies ever made which I thought was like pretty funny. And we've watched all the X-Men movies. We've watched all the Marvel movies. It's like we're sitting in our living room watching it on like a huge TV with a great sound system. Like there's no like reason not to just like throw it on. And the characters that we like, actors that we like, how bad can it be? I don't know if it was because people have been telling me how bad it is for so long that I was like, I was prepared for something so bad that like it actually didn't seem so bad or what happened. But it kind of just felt like not a great X-Men movie. Which, like, there's a lot of X-Men movies that are not a great X-Men movie and a few that are great. And it's kind of like, oh, this is the one that's just this one of the ones that's not great. I didn't feel like it was exceptionally awful the way that it's been described. How do you feel? Uh, Yeah, so I am somebody who loved the X-Men growing up, like loved them. And therefore, that being said, even if it's a bad movie, I'm cool with it. I really just like seeing X-Men. Yeah, <laughs> do, like do, you do literally X- like getting the chance to see them. Yeah, it's just, I mean, just the cartoon back in the day, the, you know, the any whatever comics movies like I, I enjoy it. I think it's cool. The OG uh, movies. Yeah, yeah, the old movies. If, uh, but I don't even know that they're good or what I recommend them to somebody who doesn't really care about the X-Men like universe like, or anything. I liked them. Like I didn't know much about the X-Men when when we first started watching them like five, four or five years ago when I started watching them with you. The like ones from the early 2000s or sure, whatever. Yeah. And I really liked them. But like, again, I like I like fantasy movies. I like um, superhero movies like that's in my wheelhouse. I would assume this isn't going to like win you over if that's not something you particularly like. And that's not who they make these movies for anyway. So I don't right. I don't fucking know. I all I thought all my point is just like it was not the best X-Men movie I've seen. It was I it might even be the worst or second worst one I've seen. But like, I still can't get mad. I didn't pay for it. I didn't go spend an afternoon like venturing to see it. I just put it on and we were at in our house eating our own snacks, watching it on our own great TV. And I just don't understand the vitriol. I guess I just don't understand the like complete vitriol. It still like looks super cool. Michael Fassbender and these people on my television screen. I just Yeah, there's like at least like mad. two or three, I don't even know, like Academy Award nominees. Like James McAvoy is always good. <laughs> I I found it I found myself like not being able to be as worked up about it I guess as like other people seemed to be. Yeah, I don't uh, I've never quite understood what makes like a terrible like when people talk about these yeah. kind of movies that are like oh it's like one of the worst movies ever. Yeah. Kind of by to your point it's like all right, well there's a lot of money involved and a yeah. lot of like actual like actors and stuff and the CG's like good yeah. enough like I mean it's what what could really be wrong like you know what you're getting into. I can't tell you if it follows every Jean Grey, Dark Phoenix storyline, because I don't care that much. And if right. you do, you should just Get over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, you should relax and don't ever watch any movie or TV show yeah. based on any of that stuff because you're just not going to be satisfied. So, uh, right. yeah, get over it. Uh, and yeah, so along those lines, it's, it was it was fun. I'd say if you kind of watch, like X-Men, watch it. Watch every X-Men Yeah, you movie. get to see Magneto get his ass kicked by like someone who makes his powers look useless, which yeah. is crazy. Like, there's just something cool about being able to see that. That's why I watch these movies. So, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you you should go watch Dark Phoenix if if you're particularly sensitive to these movies that, like, where the ancillary characters aren't great or the plots aren't great. Like, I would say that those are both true here. Like, I don't really love, like, I like seeing Professor X and Magneto and I'd say, like, the sidekicks in this movie aren't great. 
I, I, I don't particularly love the actors outside of Nicholas Holt. Like, I don't care for some of the actors that are playing the, like, side characters now, the younger, like, group of people yep. they've brought up. Okay. So, okay, fine, whatever. Overall, the star power of the people that, like, are awesome, the, like, fucking people who hold down the franchise is so big that it doesn't bother me. And I get so excited when they're on screen that it doesn't bother me. So, that's my recommendation on that front. And that covers everything we've watched in this 21-day period of self-quarantine. So far. And who knows how long this will go on or if we'll have to bring this segment back. But by all intents, I don't think we're going to be leaving our house much in April. It seems like the stay-at-home orders are going to be in place until April 30th at least. Yeah. So we could be back doing this again. You could have, you could be a recurring guest, Chris. Oh. That's huge. I mean. That's huge. Yeah, if you could have told me a week ago that I was even going to be on a podcast. I told you like 20 minutes before you did it. So. Yeah. And Congrats. I was like, oh, I got the call. And now yeah. if I could be a reoccurring guest. Yeah. Oh. A friend of the pod is a actually fr- what they say. Oh, sick. Yeah. You'll be a friend of the pod. If you go and watch any of the shows that we reviewed or recommended, please let me know. Hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, all the places. Oh, I started doing TikTok. I'm on TikTok. So you can go there and Check me out there. And in the meantime, everybody stay safe. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Practice your gratitudes. And before I I finally go off, you actually are in in the sports world. You've been an editor for ESPN for like 12 years. And you are not like just my fiance that like lives in the house and I brought you onto the pod. The reason we don't talk sports on here is because we both know so much sports that we talk about it frequently. We are both in the same industry. I just happen to be a little bit more forward facing. However, I just need to make it clear. I am not like the sports expert of the household. We are equally sport, sports. You are my sports equal in in that way. Well, thank you, because yeah. you will not say that about most people. In no, I will not. I will not. Uh, Which yeah. my listeners know. Anyways, so that was I needed to make that clear. So it's like it's not like I was just bringing you out on all willy nilly. We could talk sports on here and actually we could probably do it in a way where we haven't talked about things prior because we have so much time now. I could just say, come on the podcast. Here's what we're talking about. Prepare your comments like you're a normal guest. Yeah. Do, do your homework, do your yeah. research. Uh, I will say as much experience as Miss Fox has uh, in following teams who win, I have two times the amount of following all teams that lose. So uh, mm-hmm. I have that perspective that you cannot bring because all of your teams win. So All we do is win. <laughs> all right. Thank you guys for coming and listening. I appreciate you now more than ever. I will talk to you soon. Bye.